What is up, podcast listeners? Thank you for giving me a few moments of your day to listen to this podcast. This is the Matt Baxter Show. I'm your host, Matt Baxter, and this podcast is about purpose, passion, and calling. Super stoked to have you as a listener because we're going to dive into some awesome, intense stories about people who are going through this journey of this thing called life, and we're all just figuring this out together. But seriously, you're giving me a little bit of your time, and I want to make sure it's valuable and worthwhile. So have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was getting this podcast off the ground, we first started as the Wedgecast, evolved into the Matt Baxter Show. There was a lot of questions that we had, like, how do I record an episode? How do I get my show in all the different places like Spotify, Apple Music, Anchor, Zencaster, all these different places. And yet it just seemed very, very complicated. But the simple thing for us as we began to navigate the waters is the answer to every single one of these questions, questions excuse me, was really simple. It's Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free. Yeah, free. And it's ridiculously easy to use. And now Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise in your podcast. That means you can get paid podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now. Yeah, making money. Okay, it's sweet. It's easy. It's not a big cheap plug on an ad, but it's just simple and easy to use. So for us, it's one of the best parts about it is we can do it entirely remote or in studio. So you can record, you've got that really, really high, you know, high in the sky person that you're going to have as a guest on your podcast. You got to do it remote. Anchor is easy to use. You got people who are willing to come to your studio, your house, your office, wherever you're recording it. Boom. Anchor. Love it. Simple, easy, simple and easy to use. So if you ever want to start a podcast, make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start. Join me in the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. Can't wait to hear your podcast. What's up, Wedgecast listeners, on this episode of the podcast? It's a pretty special one. I'm hanging out with Chris Norton. Chris Norton had a traumatic football injury early on in his life, paralyzed, just traumatic, absolutely traumatic. But yet, looking through his story, looking through the life that he's living, the motivational talks that he's giving, the inspiration that he has on other people, he is living a purpose-driven life that is just inspiring, it's motivating, and it's awesome. I had the I had the absolute uh, privilege and pleasure, excuse me, of having him as a guest on the show, and it made my day, and I hope it makes yours as well, too. Tune into this episode of the Wedgecast with Chris, and thanks again for being a guest on the show. Well, Chris, thanks for being a guest on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Great. So I've obviously followed your story. You've been on the news. You've written a book. You're you're a public speaker. You're all over the place. But but just you know what what is the root of your story? And just sort of, I'd love just for the audience to know a little bit about your background. And what what led up to today? Yeah. So um, my story really kind of takes a, a turn for I guess at first the worst. Um, when I was a freshman in college, I was just an 18 year old kid. Uh, I was playing college football at Luther College up in Northeast Iowa, and I was just living the dream. I was enjoying life, going to school, making uh, some great friends, and then sixth game of the season, uh, in the third quarter, I'm running down the field covering a kick, and I see this opening for me, and I know the, the ball carrier. I, I'm anticipating he's going to be running through that hole, and I couldn't really see him, but 
uh, just due to like kind of anticipation and uh, instincts, I, I ran through that hole and I dove when I thought I, I saw him, and, but I mistimed my jump just by a split second. And instead of getting my head in front of the ball carrier, my head collides right with his leg. And in an instant, I lose all feeling in movement from my neck down. I can like vividly remember like the crash of the players above me, the whistle blows, the pile clears, but I can't. I'm trying to get off the ground, but nothing's working. Out of the corner of my eye, I can see the, the defense huddled up around my coach. They're ready to take the field. They're just all waiting for me to get up. And, and I'm trying to push off the ground, but nothing is working in my body. And I keep trying and trying. and It's not working. I'm just really confused. I just felt like someone just turned the power off to my body. And uh, were you were you in and like was there any pain at all during this or is this literally just like had no there was there was no feeling like were, was it was it painful at all or were you what was that like? Yeah, there was absolutely no feeling, no pain, nothing. Yeah, I just I just felt like a like a like a head, like a floating head, like the like the rest of my body was just completely disconnected from me. Um, I wouldn't even know that the rest of my body was there. I couldn't even feel it in space. I couldn't feel any sort of um, touch or anything. And so it was a really odd feeling. I just remember thinking, okay, this must be like a really bad stinger. Uh, I've had a stinger before where it kind of like pinches your nerves where you can't really feel things as well, like a really um, sharp, like kind of a Novocaine shot, uh, kind of a numbing, tingling feeling. And I'm thinking maybe I'm just experiencing a really bad one of those. And so if I just give it some more time, you know, my body will respond. I'll get up off the field and walk over to my sidelines. And, you know, because something bad, nothing like severe can happen to me. Bad things happen to other people. And so I'm just laying there and just waiting for something to come back. But um, nothing does. And little did I know, I just suffered a severe spinal cord injury. So... I mean, at that point, did you find out, like, that night? Like, how quickly did you know how serious this was? I would say the the first sign that this was really bad was when I was on the field, and I was being tended to by the athletic trainers. Uh, the paramedics are there, and I hear the paramedics radio in for a helicopter. When I hear them radio in, radio in for a helicopter, that's when, like, my world was just flipped upside down That's when I knew without a shadow of a doubt that this is bad. Like something very bad is happening. I have no idea what it is or what's going on or what the uh, outlook is for it, but that, that's just not a good sign when uh, you have a helicopter needing to come in and that the local hospital is not equipped to handle what was going on with me. Uh, so that's when I just close my eyes. I just begin to pray. I just praying to God, just please just let me get off off this field. Let me just get back to the sidelines and be with my teammates. Just let me be back to being a normal college student. Like I love my life and don't change my life for, for anything. Um, and so that's when I just started hoping and praying. And, and I also closed my eyes to try to tune everything out. Like I just did not want to accept this reality and what was unfolding before. And I didn't want to believe it. So I, I thought maybe if I could just close my eyes and try to like, separate myself from the situation, it won't be as bad. 
So, and maybe this is a, maybe this is more of a loaded question than, than I intended to, but at, at what point did you accept? Well, I, I guess, yeah, I guess first question, at what point did you find out that you were officially like that the spinal cord injury was going to, you know, officially affect you for the rest of your life? I mean, the helicopter ride, obviously that's not a good sign, but at what point did you find out in the next couple, coming hours or coming days or, you know, whatever the timeline was, what, what point did you find out that, man, this is, uh, this is a lot more serious than I thought. I would say like when I got to the next hospital, Mayo Clinic, uh, they put me through a series of checks and scans. Like they were trying to gather up as much information as possible. And I was honestly too scared to ask the specifics of what was going on. I wanted them to gather as much detail and information as possible so that when I did ask, what was going on, what the outlook was, they could give me the most accurate answer they could. And so I honestly just kind of like held my tongue uh, for this whole entire time, up until that night, right before surgery, the surgeon asked me, Chris, do you have any questions? And I asked him, will I be able to walk again? And I could just see the, the look on his face and he just looks defeated. And he looks at the ground and says, I don't know. And that moment, I just burst out in tears. Like, I just couldn't hold it back anymore. I was trying to, like, you know, believe in this, like, optimistic outlook that things are going to make a turn for the, the best. And uh, at that moment, that's uh, when I knew it was really bad. And then uh, I'm put to sleep for surgery. And I wake up the next day, and the surgeon tells me that I have a 3% chance of ever regaining any feeling or movement back below the neck. And that's another moment where my life and world was just flipped upside down and I, I, I couldn't really believe it like it was just surreal because the day before I was walking I was suiting up for my college football game and you know, here I am laying in bed paralyzed can't move anything from the neck down with a three percent chance of ever regaining any feeling or movement and so it started out as like a really numb feeling uh, like I was in the twilight zone and then I get mad where I'm just like, no way, not me. This, this is not going to be my life. I, I can't accept it. Like, I'm, I'm not going to be that 97% that doesn't recover. I'm going to do whatever it takes to be a member of that 3%. And so I just get going to work, doing the only thing I could, which was to nod my head yes and no. I nodded my head yes and no for hours. I looked like a giant bobblehead just bouncing my head around. <laughs> but I was just like, I'm going to do whatever it takes to, to get out of this. And um, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to be that 3%. So from, from the period of time that you were first hit on the field to when the doctor told you that you only had, you know, 3% chance of walking, was time going really fast or was time going really slow for you? I would say it was going really slow. I uh, was just, cause I was so anxious to know what was going on and I had all these what ifs swirling in my head. And I remember just like pleading like, to God and, and to myself that, you know what, I'm done with sports. I will give up sports if I can just give me the ability to walk. Like to me, that was like a huge sacrifice was the idea of giving up sports and competition. Like that, I love sports and competition. And so that was like my bargaining of like, okay, I'm done with the, the sports. Just give me the ability to walk. It's amazing sort of the, 
the breakdown of principles of, you know, two days before all that happened, you were thinking about, all right, give me, give me a championship. Give me, you know, give, give me a state ring or whatever that was to all of a sudden your mentality shifts to just give me an opportunity to walk again. I mean, that's a big, big shift for you were 18. How old were you? Yeah, I was 18 years old. Jeez. And so, I mean, walk me through what's the next, like, uh, let's chunk this, let's chunk this into the, like the next like month. What is after this happens? What's the next month for you? I mean, are you, like still not accepting it? Are you still like expecting to get up and walk all of a sudden and feel better? I mean, what, what's mentally going through your head? Uh, so at this point, I'm absolutely convinced that I'm going to walk out of that hospital and no one was going to tell me differently. I just, I just felt this pull that I couldn't accept what the doctors were saying and the prognosis that I had to beat this thing and, and walk out of the hospital. I wanted to get back to my old life. I wanted my life back. And I just knew, like, okay, I'm just going to do whatever I can each and every day to get back to it. Like, no, like they don't know anyone's going to work this hard because I'm just going to do everything in my power. And so during those days, like every waking moment, I was doing something to try to better myself, whether it was like the head nodding. And then eventually I was able to shrug my left shoulder and I would shrug my left shoulder for hours and anything that would move or feel, I was doing whatever I could to move it or to feel it. Um, so I started to get some sensation back in my chest and in my feet. And so one thing that my family would do, my sisters would do, uh, they would like cover my eyes and then they would ask, you know, Chris, what, where am I touching? And I'd be like, okay, um, it's my right foot. And I was just like working on my sensation, like little things like that um, all day long. But then at nighttime, it was the worst. Like during the day, I had great distractions. I, like I mentioned, my family, I had friends and community members visit me. Like my door was just uh, constantly open with visitors coming in. And I had you know, a strong faith and a belief and a confidence in myself. But at nighttime, when the lights are out, it's quiet. There's no one there to, to distract me except for just my thoughts. And my thoughts is, you know, what if? So, you know, will I ever go back to school again? You know, will I pass away with my family the rest of my life? Will a girl ever want to be with me? I cry myself to sleep most nights. It was just so hard to think about my life and, and the future, like given where I was at, at that point. But I'll never forget on the fourth night of my hospital stay, I'm wide awake, 2 a.m. So this is, when you, when you say, when you, when you say fourth night, this is literally fourth night after the injury? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah keep going. And so uh, I'm fourth night, wide awake, 2 a.m. Again, those questions were just like running through my head, like, okay, what's going to my future going to be like? Like, what's going on? I'm crying. And then the physician comes in to check my vitals, which at that time, I have someone coming in my room every two hours checking my vitals to make sure everything is okay. I just got done, you know, with major surgery. And so typically, it's very clinical conversation, uh, or they don't even talk to me at all. They just check it. They just do their thing and, and walk out. Well, this physician, she checks it and then she comes to my bedside she gets down on one knee and she says Chris look me in the eye and she was kind of mean about it 
And so I, I lock eyes with her and she's a short, slender woman, short reddish hair. She's got these glasses and uh, her voice sounds like she came straight out of a, a Western movie. And <laughs> she says, uh, my name's Georgia. I'm from Wyoming. Do you know anyone from Wyoming? And I say, no. And I'm just thinking, okay, where is this going? Yeah, yeah, what's, ha- what's happening here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then she says, well, people from Wyoming don't tell lies. And I want you to know, you will beat this. You will beat this. And she says it with so much conviction. I instantly just, I burst out in tears. I just, I needed to hear those words so badly. And after that moment, I feel like my hope and my faith is completely restored. Because leading up to this moment, and there was some doubt in me. There was some insecurities of like, will this really pay off? Like, will all my time and effort really amount to anything? And that was kind of like, I was kind of wrestling with that. I was trying to push out those, those thoughts out. But uh, with those words, it just kind of gave me the confidence and the push that I need to, to not hold back and that it is worth it to put all this time and effort into it. And so I discovered just like how impactful like your words can be. Because after that moment, I hear those words, you know, echoing in my head like every single day in physical therapy, of, you will beat this. And so I just keep working and working and progressing. Uh, eventually, about the fifth week marker on Thanksgiving day, I wiggle my left big toe, which was a, a huge moment uh, for me and my family. It was such a huge celebration just to wiggle my little left big toe. And then that left big toe wiggle grew to be so much more. I started to get strength back in my quads and my hamstrings and more things just really started to fire and come alive. And I just kept chipping away at it just one day at a time and uh, just relentless and persistent to, again, try to recover and get my life back. Um, Have you seen Georgia since, uh, since she said that to you? I did. So about two years later, I ran into her at like a like a Mayo Clinic conference, and I made sure to go over to her and just thank her for those words and just how much that meant to me. And I, I doubt she realized like how impactful those words were. Yeah. Um, but I told her, and uh, but she, I don't think she has any idea now that I'm like not just like nine years later, um, how how much I probably talk about her and how much how many times I told that story to people because it was such a difference maker for me and also it just helped me realize just how again how impactful our words are and that we can speak life into people and we can change people's course of their of their life story and where they go just by what we say. Um it just she just taught me so much in that short window of time. So one of the one of the things on this um, this podcast that I like to ask, and it's really, I mean, it's it's easy for me to ask, probably difficult to answer. But one of the questions is, you know, ultimately, uh, was there a season in life that you that you didn't want to get out of bed, right? Because the podcast, obviously, one of the things I lo- love asking is, what is it that gets you out of bed the morning the most? And a lot of times, that comes from a pretty dark place. And so, for you, in the course of your your journey and your story that led up to this horrific thing to happen, and obviously, what you've chosen. 
to do and, and, and what you've, the amazing work that you've done from it was sort of the darkest hours of, of your life or the season of life you didn't want to get out of bed the most? Was that pretty much day one through three, well, day three and a half leading up to that fourth night that, that you spoke with Georgia? I mean, was that what, probably one of the toughest experiences for you? Yeah, I would say, I mean, even after that moment, while that, it like really like, it restored kind of like my faith tank and my hope tank, um, it, it, there was plenty of times though where that was drained, where I felt sure. You know, oh, oh right, my right. Gosh, it, it's, it's not like it's not like life's always always easy right after that, right after one amazing moment. Totally, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it was huge. I mean, it was a voice though that I listened to, and that helped me carry through those moments when I felt hopeless and I really needed a push. But for me, it was always going to bed. It was always nighttime, and from honestly. I couldn't wait for the sun to come up because every single time the sun comes up and uh, people are around is when I can get to work. Like that's when I can start doing something about my frustration. Like I hate when things just stop. Like I can't do anything. Like there's literally in the middle of the night, especially when uh, you can barely move anything or get yourself out of bed or uh, do anything yourself. Like I'm, I'm at, I have to wait until someone can help me out. Like I just want to get to work and, when I'm doing and being busy, that's when I, I feel the most alive. That's when I feel like I'm chipping away at my problems and my frustrations. And uh, that's, I guess, what I would encourage anyone to do is if there's something you don't don't like or if there's a place that you're at, I mean, just try to do something about it. Just do something small each and every day to chip away at that problem. And it just feels so fulfilling when you're working towards a solution and uh, an answer yeah i love that that's a good word and i'd take that personally too i mean that's that's good stuff um so a little little transition for a second so obviously i have seen the uh the the amazing famous video of you uh walking down the aisle with your stunning wife and uh, that is just one of the coolest things that i've seen and 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 just you know, I, just an amazing story. So what I heard you say earlier is this whole comment, uh, you know, will, will, uh, will a girl ever like me or, you know, want to be with me or whatever, you know, whatever the context. So walk me through the, <laughs> from that feeling to all of a sudden walking down the, you know, having the chance to stand up and walk down the aisle. What, what sort of led up to that? Oh man, there's so much led up to that moment. So many baby sets, right. And so many just, uh, taking each day with a, a smile on my face and um, just trying to be proactive with my life um, that led to that. But um, we met uh, three years after my injury while I was in college. We met online and just, we just hit it off and we met in person and she was way out of my league and just um, <laughs> jaw dropping, beautiful, but you know, more importantly, she just has a heart of gold and uh, she's so sweet and compassionate. Um, and she just loves helping other people, a very selfless woman, and um, just became my best friend. And uh, We just started doing life together, and she uh, really helped me accomplish a grad our graduation walk, which that video also went viral. It's been viewed over 300 million times across the world of her walking me across the stage, and then eventually, uh, obviously, down the aisle of our wedding. But... Uh, what's really neat, I think, about walking down the aisle of the wedding is just thinking about all the challenges that we went through, like all the moments where 
we didn't even know there would be a wedding. There was, uh, this was even possible. And are we crazy for even uh, thinking we can attempt such a thing? And uh, all, all the different things that life has thrown at us, but like we just kept going. And so we, we hope that people like look at that video and just see the, the dedication and the hard work, the perseverance that it took to get to that moment, not just only with our relationship, but also with me physically. And um, just, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I think about at that moment because it just, it was such a beautiful moment, but it just took so many um, tough days to get there. And it just, but it made that day just that much more special. Yeah, that's amazing. And that, that video really is, it's amazing. And I hope when we release this podcast, I'm definitely going to share that along because it's good. It's just special. So, yeah. Um, so for you now with, uh, obviously you, you've, you've written a book, you're doing some public speaking and, and, you know, you're just obviously out there to be an inspiration to others. You know, what, what is it that you hope to accomplish between now and, and, and the day you die? I mean, what is the influence that you hope to have on, on people? Yeah, I hope I just, you know, live a, a legacy of just giving back to others and just how I made people feel. Hopefully the people around me, they feel loved, they feel important and special and just want to know by the time I die that I gave everything that I had. I had nothing left to give. Um, so that's just something that my wife and I both are, are striving towards. It's just um, doing everything in our power to, to help and um, to not just coast through life and just make the most out of it and uh, create our own story and our own path and um, just, yeah, just live life to the fullest. So I just hope that um, people are just positively impacted by just who we are as people and um, just trying to live a life of, of love and compassion and, um, and also passion of just doing everything uh, that you can and I hope to pass that on to our kids because Emily and I, um, even before our wedding, we actually became foster parents. And so we, yeah, I was, I was going to, I was going to bring that up. I, I heard you, uh, you've got a bit of a mess of kids around your house. <laughs> yeah. Exactly so, we do. so, so you've got, you've got uh, kids of your own and then you've done foster kids or what, what's the, what's the story there? Yeah. So we first became foster parents when we fostered uh, 17 children up to this point. Uh, we plan on continuing fostering, and uh, we've also been adopted five girls out of the foster care system. Um, so that's been really special. Four of them are sisters, so they're a sibling group. And the uh, other one is uh, we adopted her when she was 19 years old. So she's only six and seven years younger than us. So um, we, we got a full household. We also have a female dog, too, so I'm, like, way outnumbered. <laughs> um, so hopefully, hopefully get some boys in the in the future. But um, you know, it's it's been great, and uh, they just they bring so much joy and love to life and excitement. Um, and again, like Emma and I were, I we're we're not done with uh, the five either. Like we just plan on continuing to give and to continue to uh, stretch stretch our house and ourselves to to fit you know whoever needs us and. Uh, we just feel really called to do that. That's so special. So cool. So I want to, I want to end, end the call with my favorite question in the whole wide world is ultimately, you know, at the end of the day, what is it that gets you out of bed the morning the most? And this could be 
uh, wait, you can answer that definitely on behalf of, you know, you and your wife collectively or just you individually or what, whatever that looks like. But we'd love just to hear, you know, for, for Chris, what is that that gets you out of bed in the morning the most? Uh, a question that I ask myself is, you know, who's counting on me? You know, I, I think about the people who are in my life who are, can be influenced by me and how I live my life. And uh, so I think about my girls. I think about my wife and my parents, sisters, my friends, uh, community, everyone who follows me, and just knowing that um, you know, I have the opportunity to, to positively influence other people by being an example and knowing that they're counting on me, that they're watching, watching me, that uh, I, I can be this example of courage and perseverance and, and give them the courage and, and perseverance to overcome what they might be going through. And so that just really helps me uh, get going, get, and fills me up with purpose, uh, knowing that I have that responsibility. Love that. That's amazing and inspiring. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, well, I guess I want to I want to give you space. Is there anything else you want to leave the audience with? You know, I would say um, just continue uh, to keep fighting and take it one step at a time. And understand that life's lowest moments can be the source of your greatest gifts, uh, but you just have to keep going and not quit. Um, you just don't know what life has in store for you, um, but you just, again, you got to take that one step at a time, one step in front of the other, and um, see what how it all turns out. Because uh, for me, it's been nine years, and now I can see all the blessings that have come from my spinal cord injury, my, my worst moment of my life. And I hope other people can be encouraged to see that uh, like these low moments don't have to be the final verdict of our lives, that our lives don't have to be sad or, or tragic and that we can turn things around, but it just takes one, one day, one step at a time. Um, and then also, you know, be tuned to watching out for my documentary film that's coming out. It's called Seven Yards. And so hopefully that's going to be out around April. Um, we're, we're working on distribution and uh, working with some different streaming platforms about uh, maybe doing an uh, exclusive deal with them. And um, so more on that. And I have the book, The Seven Longest Yards, that Emily and I co-authored together. So you get my perspective and Emily's perspective. Um, but yeah, I would say, you know, grab, that, grab those things and follow me on Instagram. Stay, stay in tune with what crazy things that we're up to. But uh, we're just loving life. Love it. Well, Chris, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me on.